Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am a delirious Adam Bittner, uh, assistant sports editor for the Pittsburgh Post, because that's still reeling from that thrilling Steelers Monday night game. Uh, it was on here late night with Joe Stark. If you haven't checked out our recap of the Steelers-Browns, um, please make sure you do that. But I'm here today for the Penn State football show that we do every Wednesday with Seth Angle, our Daily Collegiate and Post-Gazette sports reporter, football reporter, um, Seth, how are you? Hopefully a little bit better than me. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, we got back from Illinois on, on Sunday night. It was pretty, pretty long day there. We hit the road. So that, that was fun. Um, but now I'm fully back in the swing of things and we're looking forward to the whiteout this weekend. Absolutely. Big game. We are going to get to that in a little bit. Um, but first, um, I want to get into, you know, some of the stuff that happened at Illinois first, because I thought it was a pretty interesting game for a few different reasons. Chief among them, uh, we saw Drew Aller kind of struggle a little bit for the first time. Um, things didn't look automatic to him. You know, I think we've we've seen him make some bad throws when he was in relief of Sean Clifford last year. Maybe some decisions that you were kind of like, eh. But never really struggle in the context of, of the game mattering um, or go for sustained periods where you sometimes weren't sure where his head was. Um, I guess my first question for you, Seth, is was it good to, to finally see him challenged a little bit and then still, you know, rally and find a way to win the game comfortably um, as, as a means of growth? Or is it concerning in the context of it's not going to be too much longer before you're staring down the barrel of Ohio State? And, and you know, I think some fans will be forgiven for looking at that performance and saying he's not quite ready for prime time yet. Um, I tend to think it's it's probably more encouraging than not that they still covered easily, that they were in control of that game for much of the second half. Um, but, you know, I, I can see the other side of the argument. Where do you land on that? I think it says a lot about where this team is right now, that they can potentially have an off day where there are struggles and there is some adversity, and they can still come out and win by 17 points on the road. I, I think that says something. Um, for Drew Aller, I mean, this is a guy who's – now only started three games. That was his first road game. So I'm not, you know, going to be too quick to be, you know, to, to say, oh, he can't play against Ohio State or Michigan um, because he, you know, wasn't able to, you know, play as well as he did in the first two weeks. I, I think that's, you know, it's it, there, there are bumps and, and bruises that come with, you know, playing a full season. And, you know, I, I think it's also encouraging that, you know, on an off day for, for Drew, he still didn't turn the ball over. You know, that's been it's been three games now for Penn State, and the offense has not turned the ball over um, by any means. So I think that's it, that's encouraging alone. Um, and I'm not going to be too quick to uh, to judge Drew. I think he made some good throws. I think that that 33 yarder to Liam Clifford before the before the half that that set up the field goal. I think that was that was a brilliant pass and catch, um, and it kind of showed what he's capable of. It's just a matter of doing that for a whole season. Um, but no, I, I'm not. I'm not too discouraged by by that performance. Yeah, that's one of those throws that you look at and you're like, could Sean Clifford make that throw? I, <laughs> I don't know about that. And and that's where you you kind of hope that that you're going to see a little bit more out of the quarterback position. I think. I think these next two questions I'm going to ask Seth are kind of part of the same question, which is, what did you see in the press box at Memorial Stadium? Um, it felt like for a lot of plays in this game and I've seen it on a few other occasions early in the season um it felt like he's this is a guy who's a pocket passer who's tucking and running more than I think you know I'd be comfortable with um 
but it doesn't seem like that's an instinctual choice either. Sometimes I see it with Bo Prabula, and I feel like he goes to that mode very quickly. With Drew Aller, it feels like he's just not seeing people open, um, especially against you know a Big Ten secondary uh, as opposed to some of these first couple of teams they played. What did you see at the game? That, that Were receivers open, or is he just not seeing them? What do you think is the bigger problem? I think there were instances where there were receivers open and he wasn't, I don't know if he wasn't seeing, you know, all, all the reads um, that I remember one specifically where Keandre Lambert Smith was, was wide open um, near the end zone and it would have been a clear touchdown. And it, it looked, I don't know, it was confusing to me because it, it looked like he was looking in his direction, but he just wasn't throwing the ball. Um, and then eventually I think he, he scrambled and, you know, maybe got a yard or ended at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, that, that wasn't great, but I mean, I think there's still hiccups that come with being a first year starter. Um, I think a lot of it also is, you know, he was facing true pressure for the first time, um, out of these three games that Illinois front four is no joke. You know, Jerzon Newton is the guy we talked about in the last pod. You know, that guy is one of the best defensive linemen in all of college football. So to have that kind of under your belt already and know what it's like to face a guy who will be playing in Sundays, you know, as soon as next year, I, I think that's important for Drew. And I think, I think that this Saturday was a huge learning experience for him um, and kind of how you play under pressure against, you know, a line that's coming at you pretty much every single time, sometimes stacking the box with five or six. Yeah, Joel Klatt definitely made a meal on the broadcast, the Fox broadcast of that Keandre Lambert Smith, um, you know, missed throw. But I think there was another occasion where the broadcast didn't br- call attention to it, but it seemed like on television there was a running back in the flat that he didn't see um, on a play. But those were the only two instances I came up with. Um, what about th- these receivers, Seth? I think, you know, we saw Malik McClain struggle a little bit for the first time after you and I have spoken pretty glowingly about him on this podcast for his performances against West Virginia, Delaware, early in the season here. Um, where do you think these guys stand as, you know, they're facing probably a closer peer for the first time as well. You mentioned the pressure that, that you know, Drew Aller was facing, but those guys were facing similar pressure diff- just in different ways. How do you think that they performed against that first test, noting that, that Trey Wallace was out injured? Right. Um, I think the Trey Wallace injury is huge. Um, that, that was a guy who had, you know, 10 receptions for, I believe, 98 yards um, through two games, which is pretty significant. Uh, both of those were, you know, near the top of, of, you know, Penn State's rankings in those categories. Um, he was out with an injury. He warmed up. He dressed. Um, you know, medical officials just ruled him out, didn't feel comfortable with him playing. You know, he's a great receiver. He's also a good blocker. Um, so he opens up opportunities for other people. So losing him, I think, was kind of huge for that receiving core. Um, and then, you know, instead you, you kind of work with with Keandre Lambert-Smith and and, I, and Cephas play a little bit. And Malik McLean got his first start. Um, but I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a room that kind of lacks, you know, top heaviness um, that we've seen before, you know, with, with multiple – potential number one receivers doesn't really have that. Um, but it's a room that is deep. You know, there are other guys that can step up. Um, a guy I want to shout out, you know, especially is Caden Saunders um, really came to life in that Illinois game. Um, you know, he, he's been great on returns, um, but he finally got to show what he's capable of in that slot as well. 
Um, Franklin speak spoke uh, pretty highly of him today as well. Um, said that he's a guy, you know, who, who just he's a good receiver and he, he has good hands. Um, and I think we'll we'll probably see him more as this season kind of goes along. Yeah, you know what? And I'll echo that a little bit. I love him as a returner. Um, you know, I'm not sure he he gives me like KJ Hamler vibes. I'm not sure he he looks like the the total game breaker um, type of guy back there that you know is going to get everyone excited. But he does a really nice job of getting 10, 15 yards and, and making something out of nothing and and maybe changing the field position by 10 yards. And that's a, that's a part of the game that I think you know it's it's easy for fans to to discount. But when you dig into the analytics. Um, I think it was especially true of like the 2016, 2017 teams. They were great at, you know, getting great field position and and that set them up to have a lot of the success that they did offensively. So he just seems like a steady guy back there. And, and you know, it, the there's no kick that seems like it's, it's too big for him or that, you know, he's, he's panicked back there. Sometimes you see returners at this level B. Right. Absolutely. I mean, he's a young guy too. So, um, it, it's kind of nice to see a guy that was pretty highly touted um, in that 2022 class, along with with Aller and Singleton and Catron Allen, um, who we're now starting to see, you know, actually build a role within that offense. Um, and, and it's a deep room. I will say it is surprising to me um, after, you know, how hyped up he was throughout the offseason that we really have not seen much of Amari Evans this year. Um, that was a guy that we had discussed as, a potential starter this year in that number three spot that was open for months. Um, and he, you know, he really just has, hasn't really played. I, I think he, he has a touchdown on the year. Um, it was late game with Bo Prabula in. Um, but other than that, I mean, he hasn't made, you know, really any impact at all. Um, I, I think Cephas we're starting to see a little more of um, that may have also been with, with Trey Wallace hurt. Um, but the room is deep, you know, there are options, and I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is really, you know, he's silencing those question marks of, you know, whether he can be a number one guy. I think he's capable of it. Yeah, I think for him, he's, he's shown the capability. It's, it's can he make that next step toward dominance that we saw with guys like Jahan Dotson, um, KJ Hamler, just dominating the targets, dominating statistically. I think he has a little bit of, of room to grow there still, but um, I don't think there's any question at this point that he can be, a number one guy, Seth. I know you wanted to talk about the offensive line. Um, the running game wasn't anything spectacular, and I think that's what a lot of fans expect when you go to a place like Illinois. Is that you know it's just going to come easy for Katron Allen and Nick Singleton against teams like this. Um, but as you pointed out, Illinois has a strong front four. What did you think of the total effort for that offensive line? Um, you know, a, a against that group. I think as big of a learning experience as it was for Drew Aller, it was the same for Penn State's O line which is already lacking, you know, one of its top playmakers in Landon Tengwall, um, which I think is huge. Um, that Illinois defensive line, as I said before, is very, very good and, you know, might be near the top of what Penn State faces this whole year. Um, I didn't think it was great. You know, I didn't think their performance was great by any means. Um, and I think the run game uh, really kind of disappointed on, on Saturday. You know, it's it's interesting when you look at, you know, how dominant Nick Singleton and Catron Allen can be. And then you look through your stats and, and you realize, okay, neither of them have broken off for a 20-yard rush through three games this year, which is pretty substantial. Um, Nick Singleton, he scored a 16-yard touchdown. Um, that was his longest touchdown of the year to that point. So that that's pretty significant 
Um, and I think it also says something that that Illinois game was the first game since last year's season opener against Purdue that not a single rusher tallied over 60 yards on the ground. Um, that's pretty significant to me as well. When that's that's over a year of football. Um, and a lot of that was just because you run to the right side. There's no hole because you're facing Jerzon Newton um, and whoever is right next to him, you know, also had a pretty good game. Um, there really were no holes opening up for either running back. Um, you know, it's something that I think they're they're going to put a focus on, you know, big time this year or this week, you know, prior to facing another, you know, dominant defense in Iowa. But, you know, that's that's definitely a cause for concern. I'm not, you know, putting the putting the red light on anything and, um, you know, trying to get too crazy. But I mean, that's that's something, you know. Yeah, and I think especially over the course of 60 minutes, I mean, that's the difference between dominating a team and then just kind of winning comfortably, but having some some uncomfortable moments, which is what they did Saturday. I don't think there was any ever, ever any doubt about the result, but if you can't run the ball as well as they've become accustomed to running it over 60 minutes, that's that's just, just going to show up in, in the final score, and I think that's what we saw. Um, last thing kind of offensively here, Seth, is this Alex Falcon's job um, at kicker? Is is he locked in now, um, having converted and and shown his medal on the road, um, or do you think that there's still some level of comp- competition there? Although his 52 yard field goal attempt was blocked, I think that Franklin putting him out there to attempt it pretty much sealed him in as Penn State's starting kicker. Um, you know, he also hit a 45 yarder. He was three of four. He was fine. I'm mean, 52 is, is a, that's a long distance. Yeah. Um, that's hard to, hard to connect on. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, he's done pretty well and I think he's locked it in. Um, you know, Penn state didn't attempt a field goal against Delaware, you know, had to attempt, you know, many more against, against Illinois, um, partially because the offense just wasn't executing, you know, after causing those turnovers, and I think Falcons handled it well. And I think moving forward, you know, he he seems composed and he seems capable to hit field goals, you know, outside of 40 yards. And, you know, obviously have to hit them inside 40, which which Sanders Sahedek had trouble doing in that season opener. So, yeah, I, I do think Falcons has that job locked up. We're going to get to the defense and look ahead to the whiteout against Iowa here in a second. Uh, before we do, just a reminder that our presenting uh, sponsor for this episode of the podcast is Voodoo Brewery in State College. Enjoy world-renowned craft beer and delicious cocktails at Voodoo Brewing Company, a State College pub located off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, State College. Uh, VBC State College has something exciting going on every day of the week. Join them this fall on Mondays for weekly free play cornhole tournaments or test your knowledge with pub trivia every Tuesday at 6. Wednesday is their game night featuring board, board games, card games, and the Nintendo Switch. Every Thursday, your boy Dots hosts bingo, and it is not your Nana's bingo. Saturday, we have the Nittany Lions on their college football uh, screen, and then every Sunday, they'll have either the Steelers, Eagles, or Red Zone for you to enjoy. Um, so make sure you check out Voodoo Brewery State College, especially if you're up in town for the whiteout this week. Seth, um, want to talk about this Iowa running game because they've got some some tough guys. I think they might be the program that that I was talking about I, Illinois possibly being that could test the growth of the interior of Penn State's offensive line. Um, is that a matchup that you're going to be watching closely on Saturday night? In terms of their defensive or, or offensive line? 
their their offensive line and running game against Penn State's defense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that was a big question mark early in the year was you know how legitimate is this is this Penn State run defense, um, especially when you look back to Michigan um, and you see you know over four hundred yards allowed on the on the ground there. Um, if Penn State can stop Iowa, which is a team that has shown that they're capable of running pretty consistently, I, th I think that kind of shows what Penn State could be able to do um, in the trenches against a team like Michigan or Ohio State. Um, now, I think Penn State has done a pretty good job at stopping the run through three games. Um, you know, I, 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 they haven't allowed, you know, a single rusher to tally over 100 yards in a game yet. Um, they look pretty solid um, against Illinois, which is a relatively strong rushing team as well. Um, I think Hakeem Beeman put on a lot of weight this year, um, and it, it's kind of showing. Um, he was a guy that, you know, specifically struggled in that Michigan game. And, you know, Devon Ellis looks looks relatively clean, and, and Zane Duran as well. Um, I also think having Kazai Izzard back, who, you know, made a season debut at Illinois, I, I think that's huge as well for that depth. So, you know, I think this is a true test, and I think it'll say a lot about what they're able to do moving forward. Yeah, I think I'm just curious to see how they handle things situationally. I, I think about that West Virginia game, and, and I think they shut them down as an offense pretty well in, in the big picture. But it felt like there were some times where West Virginia, um, you know, was able to move the ball a little bit better than I think some Penn State fans would have liked um, situationally. And I think that's where really when you think of those Ohio State and Michigan games, um, can you stop? Can you stop teams situationally? That's what a lot of those games come down to. So I'll be curious to see how they perform in a big environment against a team that's had um, some really great success. They, I think their top runner, um, I have his name written down here, Caleb Johnson has the most carries, but I think he's only averaging about 2.7 yards per carry. But LaShawn Williams, um, Jason Patterson, I, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, one of the, I think Williams is averaging like eight, eight plus yards per carry over like 19 carries. That's pretty good. I, I think it's going to be quite the, uh, the test. I'm looking forward to seeing how Penn State performs against them. Um, thoughts on how the, the defense handled the, you know, Luke Altmeyer versus Garrett Green, both kind of mobile quarterbacks. I feel like Garrett Green got the better of them a few times, but they really seem to contain Luke Altmeyer a lot better. Um, if you consider those guys similar players, did you see the growth between those two games, um, you know, in terms of containing a player like that? Yeah, I mean, I do want to start off real quick. I want to go back to, to the running backs again. Um, you know, Iowa's going to be down two of its top rushers um, against Penn State. Um, you know, Patterson and Caleb Johnson um, are going to be out for that game, as well as their leading receiver, which I think is pretty significant. Um, they're, they're tight end Luke Latchy. Um, so I think that's kind of going to change the direction of what Iowa's able to do offensively. Um, and without some of those guys, you know, they might, you know, kind of force Cade McNamara, Cade McNamara to leave the pocket a little more, similar to how Altmeyer or Garrett Green did as well. Um, so I think having that experience of facing an offense that, you know, isn't afraid to scramble, I think is really important that Penn State has already faced two teams um, that have had that. Two out of three games they've had they've had to play against that. Um, so we'll kind of see how that plays out with with Iowa's new offensive scheme without some of their top playmakers. Um, but I mean, I think it's huge that Penn State has already had that experience of facing an offense like that. Seth, what do you think about Cade McNamara, veteran quarterback uh, coming in here? 
Um, you know, I, th- I think he played at Penn State in, in 2021. That game was notably not the whiteout. It was a stripeout. I don't know. I don't know how much you distinguish between those two things. Um, but he's he's played in a big environment at Penn State before. What level of advantage do you think that is over um, you know a lot of these other Big Ten quarterbacks who honestly at this point have not seen um, a Penn State whiteout up close and personal? Yeah, I think Cade McNamara is one of the more experienced quarterbacks you know in the country when it comes to playing in big time moments. Um, this is a guy like you mentioned. You know, it wasn't the whiteout, but he did come into Beaver Stadium um, in a stripe out environment. We know that those Michigan matchups always bring in huge crowds. Um, he came in and won. You know, Michigan won that game. Um, so he, he knows what it's like to come into Beaver Stadium um, against the Penn State team that, you know, at the time was still relatively competitive um, and, and and knocked them off. You know, I, I think Cade is, is a huge upgrade to what Iowa's kind of put out there the last couple of years um, offensively. And, and we've we've seen them improve. You know, 28 points per game isn't incredible by any means, but, you know, when you look at what they were able to do last year offensively, it says a lot. You know, I think they were, you know, just over 17 points per game last year. It was one of the worst in the country. And now they're starting to score points. Their defense is, you know, as good as it's been, um, as always. And I think Cade's kind of leading the charge there um, and, and you know, changing what what we know of I. Iowa offense. Um, you know, I will say it, it will be interesting to see what they're able to do with these injuries, um, losing to your top running backs and your top receiver. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, Cade McNamara, he's beaten Penn State before. Um, you know, he, he has the potential to do it again. Seth, what's the level of buzz around town? Um, I think you. I think I vaguely remember you writing a column about the topic of what what should be the whiteout game should be reserved for teams like Michigan and Ohio State and, and the best team on Penn State's home schedule every year as we go into this new Big Ten era where maybe it's not going to be Ohio State and Michigan, maybe it's going to be USC, maybe it's going to be Oregon. Um, you know, what's the level of of juice for it being Iowa? Because I think it's really important to Penn State that the whiteout be a night game, prime time night game, national audience. Putting, putting that scene on display for the broadest possible scope of people, potential applicants to school, potential recruits to the team, rather than, you know, what I think fans would prefer, which is let's mm-hmm. let's get this an environment for the toughest team. Um, do you, does it feel like a big game week around Happy Valley, or um, do you think it's lost a little bit of a lust, its luster given that, that Iowa, like you mentioned, has injuries and is not exactly like a top five type opponent? No, I think it's still huge. I, I think that having it at night is important. Um, I think that this weekend is, you know, maybe the most important weekend for the branding and marketing of Penn State athletics as a whole. Um, you know, everyone knows the whiteout, like James Franklin said today, you know, it is one of the best atmospheres, not just in football, but in all of sports. Um, so this is something it draws in tourists and um, everyone kind of wants to be here for that game. I mean, I think it's important to have it late at night. Um, it's not the same when, you know, the, when the fireworks are going up and the sun is still shining. It just doesn't look the same. And, you know, they need to get that video of them coming out of the tunnel and the fireworks going up and it's pitch black and everyone's going crazy and it's bringing out the the white. You know, that's really important. You know, I don't think that you can necessarily do that in daylight. 
Um, we look at the season opener with what with West Virginia, you know, obviously it was still a primetime matchup, but that when they came out of the tunnel, it wasn't quite dark yet. Um, and, and it didn't it didn't look the same as as we've kind of come to know with, with these whiteout entrances. Um, now we'll see, you know, I, I'm with the games like as late as it is this week, I'm I'm expecting that the sun will be down by then. Um, but that's really important. Um, and, and to have it in prime time, obviously, is important as well. I don't think a noon whiteout would would uh, would do the same as, you know, a 730 or 8. Yeah, I, I do have a recollection of that first full stadium whiteout against Notre Dame. I think it was in 06, 07. Um, and it would, they nailed it right at the twilight hour. It was a beautiful night. And I remember it really popping that night. But I think there's a big difference between that and like new. And, and doing it with Michigan at noon. And, um, you know, and I, I'll say this. I think they, they've gotten it right with this, the stripe out thing where, you know, I think that looks pretty cool, especially with, with the light on it. And, you know, I think there was plenty of juice for the Ohio State game last year. So if this is the, the compromise they've made between keeping the white out as special as it is and still having something when, when you face these tougher teams, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's the correct compromise given that, it shouldn't really be like this. This is this is Fox, you know, deciding that they're going to flex their muscle here as the broadcast partner and get what they want, not necessarily concerned about tradition. Um, you know, but given given the the bad hand that Penn State's been dealt, I feel like it's the best compromise they can they can come up with. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's the whiteout game. Um, it's it's gonna be electric. Uh, I think Auburn kind of showed that, you know, even if it's not one of the best teams in the country, um, if it's a perennial ranked opponent um it's still gonna be a big impact it's not like they're playing nebraska um iowa's a good team you know this is a team that if not illinois i think a lot of people had circled as as the trap game um and i think that you know this whiteout's gonna have as much juice as any other year it's it's you know it's a big event i i know you're gonna be at the game maybe you'll watch it later if you were a fan, would you be looking forward to seeing this game on CBS with, with what I think a lot of fans have, have dubbed the SEC music? The da, 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 da. Or would you be excited to see it on CBS, or, or does that not really matter to you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be watching it on TV, but I, I do think that it is. It's interesting that you know there are all these kind of new networks carrying Penn State games that people haven't really seen before. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really cool. Um, I think it'll also be refreshing. I know a lot of people were upset with, with Gus Johnson's call, um, last week, you know, to not have him in the booth. You know, I, I watched back some of those, some of those highlights last week with the interceptions. Um, and there really was no energy. Um, Gus did not have the juice. Gus did not. I don't think, I don't think Gus wanted to be there. I think Gus wanted to be, I think everyone wants to be at the Colorado game every week now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what was going on there, but. I think a lot of fans are probably going to be, you know, refreshed to not, you know, have that type of thing in the booth anymore. And you know, I think CBS does a good job. Um, you know, I think NBC did a really good job in the season opener too. Um, so I'm looking forward to what CBS is able to do. And, you know, it's going to be like this for the next 10 years. So we kind of, you know, have to adjust and, and get used to these new broadcasts. Yeah. I think if you're a Penn State fan, you really got to love the way um, NBC has really kind of, I think, put Penn State front and center in the, in the, um, you know, the NBC package with the, you know, the fallout boy, um, here comes Saturday night theme song. It's like every 
three seconds, they've got some Penn State thing on the screen. I think it's because they know like they're going to have their choice of Penn State probably more than they're going to get in Ohio State or in Michigan because a lot of weeks, you know, that that those programs are going to get scooped up by the big noon Saturday um, slot. You know, again, unless you know Colorado takes over college football and then it'll be there every week. But um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to hearing Brad Nassler specifically because he is the soundtrack of my teenage years playing um, the college football games with Penn State with Pitt um, and and calling those you know digital video games. He's going to be back in Happy Valley for the first time and pretty much since he moved to CBS, I think over a decade ago, um, you know, I think it's going to be great to have him on the call of that game. Seth, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Tons of big games on Saturday beyond the whiteout. Um, Clemson, Florida State's out there. Notre Dame, Ohio State. Which game is is most, you know, are you watching most closely as a Penn State observer? I think it's probably going to be Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, so maybe give, give me your second choice of the game you're most intrigued by. And what do you think the most important outcome is for Penn State? Is it an Ohio State win to keep that game as relevant as possible um, coming up at the end of October? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ohio State Notre Dame is is the biggest, you know, on my on my watch. Um, I think that that will answer, you know, many questions about this Ohio State team that I have, you know, wondered about, you know, since the offseason. Um, you know, is that a team that is truly competitive? Is that a team that, you know, has full trust in Kyle McCord? Because I don't know if that's true. You know, going into this year, I, I said this before on our preseason podcast was, you know, when was the last time Ohio State hasn't been 100% positive in its starting quarterback? I I honestly, like, have no idea. Um, so seeing how he can perform, you know, get against a, a good Notre Dame team, um, a team that probably has one of its best offenses in a while. I think Sam Hartman is is doing great things over there. Um, I think that'll be, you know, very intriguing to watch. Um, to your second question there, I, I'll also say I think a win against Notre Dame is what – I mean, a win, a win for Ohio State is what um, Penn State fans should probably be hoping here for, um, especially, you know, with, with that Ohio State matchup coming up. You know, if you want to boost your – you want to boost your resume a little bit. I think Ohio, I think you want Ohio State as uh, highly ranked as possible. But that second game, I will say, I am I am so intrigued by Colorado. I don't think they're necessarily legit, but I will say it is crazy what they're doing with viewership right now. And it's even you know even in a in a tight game against Colorado State um, or they're playing Nebraska, it still feels like must watch must watch tv for some reason like that nebraska game shouldn't be must watch it really shouldn't but it but it still was um and it's something you feel like you can't miss and i think you know you can agree or disagree with the way dion runs his program but i mean it's it's pretty entertaining and i i think the rest of the country would probably agree with that so seeing you know colorado play uh oregon this week which is a a real program um i think that'll be very interesting. Um, I think I, if I were a betting man, I would probably take the Ducks. But um, you know, Shador Sanders. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be compelling television. I think we're probably going to see that the Colorado's flawed in enough other places that you know to play at the big boy level, they're they're probably still a ways away. But um, that doesn't mean that I'm I'm not excited to see that. I, I'm going to be. It's going to be one of these days where I got nothing going on except watching college football. Um, last, let me put a button on this um, Ohio State-Notre Dame 
conversation. If Ohio State comes out and looks a mess and, and is not the Ohio State that, that we've become accustomed to, and you know, let's say they're more of like a top 20 team when Penn State faces them, do you think that obscures Penn State's path to the playoff at all? Do you need them to be a top 10 team if you're looking at an 11-1 and one finish, you know, a possible loss against Michigan? Do they really need to be a resume booster for 11-1 and one Penn State to get in? Um, or, or, or do you think that, that just getting that win is going to be enough in a lot of people's eyes? I mean, I think it also kind of depends where Iowa finishes up as well, if Penn State's able to knock them off. I do think that having two ranked wins on your schedule – is, is pretty important in a 14 playoff race. Um, but I don't know, 11 and one is pretty good. You know, that's, that's something, you know, James Franklin has never really achieved. Uh, um, and he's also never achieved a playoff. So I, I think the easy thing to say is like, Oh, if they get 11 and one, they're in right. Um, you know, to your point, I don't know if that's necessarily the case when, you know, their schedule hasn't been so great. Um, West Virginia, you know, it, isn't incredible. Um, they obviously beat them pretty handily and the rest of their non-conference schedule is, is, you know, very easy when you're playing UMass and Delaware, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know how much it would make an impact. I think Ohio state still is a pretty good team. I don't think it's as good as they've been in the past, but I think this is still a highly competitive team, good defense, wide receiver core is unbelievable, good running backs. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it all, plays out but i'm not sure how much of an impact it would actually make in the end yeah i just wonder you know because they get to the end of the year and it's the one week a year when the college football pundits decide to care about conference championships and if penn state's not the conference champion and they're not in the favored group of teams that have been in the playoff every year like out they'll make that argument for alabama they made it for ohio state in 2016 um at penn state's expense would they make that argument against penn state because they're not um, you know, kind of in that group that's in there every year. I don't know. And that's why I think if you're a Penn State fan, you don't want to see Ohio State struggle. You want to beat them at their best because that's a signature win that no one else in the country, uh, for the most part, is going to have. Um, but with that, Seth, I'm going to let you go. Um, been a great episode. Looking forward to watching all the games on Saturday, but especially the whiteout. Um, and I will actually, I should tease this. You're going to have Spice Adams here. This won't be the last Penn State con- content on the, uh, channel hopefully this week i think we're working out a few details with spice adams but you're gonna be flying solo um interviewing uh spice you excited for that yeah i'm looking forward to it i, I talked to spice a couple couple years ago um before a game he's he's an incredible guy um he's really fun so yeah looking forward to it yeah stay tuned for that later in the week and also stay tuned later today we are going to have uh christopher carter on the north shore drive and if you are interested at all as a penn state fan we will have uh, Larry Fitzgerald talking to Noah Hiles um, uh, is just an interview about everything that's going on with that program should be pretty interesting. So make sure you're signed up, stay tuned, and we will talk to you all again next time. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.